0: Good morning today's scripture reading is Amos chapter 5 it is located on page 6 of your bulletin if anyone wants to follow along this is what the Lord says to Israel seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire it will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Who who made the Pilatus and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a Draw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain therefore though you have built stone mansions You will not live in them though. You have planted lush vineyards. You will not drink their wine For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times for the times are evil Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? Have you lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves? Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty.
1: you. We've already had a a full service, uh, lots of wonderful parts to feed off of together. Uh, But let's turn our attention now to this piece of scripture uh, briefly. And as always, we'll have a time of Q&A, question and answer. So feel free to lock and load uh, with whatever comes to mind and we'll talk about it some more. But let's first stop and pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask that you would be present as you promise you will be. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We pray that you would get us ready to be surprised by you, Uh, not because of anything the preacher can do or say, but because when God shows up, anything can happen. And when your word speaks, you really can raise the dead spiritually. And we pray that you would do that even now. So with eyes wide open, we look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from the smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating four whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. These are familiar words, of course. They're taken from Dr. King's iconic I Have a Dream speech presented just a little bit down the street at the Lincoln Memorial for the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And they include, at the end, you probably heard a quotation from Amos chapter 5, verse 24, which is found in today's passage. Dr. King often quoted scripture in his speeches. He was a preacher, after all. It wasn't uncommon to hear him cite passages like Isaiah 2 verse 4, Isaiah 11:6, Micah 4:4, 4, 4, and of course, Isaiah 40 verses four and five, but one scholar calls Amos 5:24, "Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream," King's absolute favorite lines of Hebrew poetry, indeed, from the entire Bible. And perhaps this was because the book of Amos provides one of the clearest and most stirring teachings in all of scripture on the topic of social justice. Justice for which Dr. King lived and labored and died. Justice which arises from the very heart and character of God. Justice which is our topic of focus this morning, this passage, Amos 5, it teaches us three, really more than three, we'll focus on three of them, three things about the Bible's vision of justice. It teaches us, first, the meaning of justice, what is it anyway? Secondly, the barriers to justice, just why is it so hard? And thirdly, the hope of justice, how can we, in fact, do it? The meaning of justice, the barriers to justice— And the hope of justice, let's take a quick look. First, the meaning of justice. What is biblical justice? I'm sure you've noticed when it was read earlier that this is not a happy passage of scripture. In fact, it's a word of lament from God. Its tone is tragic. Judgment and destruction is about to fall on Israel, and why? Because, God tells them, they've become a nation awash in social injustices. If you look at verse 10, it says, There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. Meaning that at the time, local leaders and merchants and government officials would punish truth telling They would indeed obstruct justice. They incentivized distortions and rewarded those who would perpetuate lies. They exploit the poor for personal gain by imposing oppressive taxes, says verse 11. You trample the poor and impose a tax on their grain. The problem isn't just with individual actions. Injustice has been written into the legal and monetary systems of the day. And who is benefiting from these fraudulent dealings but the powerful and the wealthy? Their stone mansions and lush vineyards are mentioned in verse 11. They take bribes, verse 12, and deprive the poor of justice. In the courts. And finally, we're told in verse 13 people who notice these problems are silent, silent about the wrongs, either because they're intimidated to speak up or because their society just doesn't provide enough incentives to take the risk of doing what's right. The prudent keep quiet, this word says. The prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. The passage presents these as forms of injustice, not just corruption or social ills or bad behavior, but injustice. Three times, verse 7, 15, and 24. The problem is described as an evil distortion of what the Bible calls justice. So what exactly is it? justice. Well, the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, occurring here three times, alluded alluded to all throughout this passage, it occurs over 200 times throughout the Old Testament, a major theme. It basically means to treat people with equity and generosity. When most of us hear this word justice, I mean, what do you hear? Most of us think of punishment for breaking the law, and biblical justice is that, but it's so much more. Justice in the Bible also means giving people what they are due, what they are owed as people with inherent dignity and as infinitely priceless images of God. It's why the Bible presents justice-seeking as a holy obligation to care for people who've been denied this God-given dignity, who've been denied equitable treatment in society, which includes especially, the Bible tells us, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, which was a combination of the racial minority as well as the immigrant, and the poor. In other words, justice is the protection of and the provision for the most vulnerable and marginalized in society. And so, seeking reforms, for our criminal justice system to ensure that the system does not overassume the criminality of young black men, that's the work of justice. But justice is also mentoring young men in the neighborhood so that they don't end up in the system in the first place. Holding local schools accountable for their use of resources, that's justice. But justice is also a group of families from a church investing in a school, investing time, relational energy, investing money, and graphic design or athletic skills or administrative skills and abilities so that not only their own children, but also their neighborhood's children, the kids' classmates, receive a quality education, too. Justice means not simply pursuing the dismantling of the predatory loans of payday lenders, it also means helping to equip and support neighbors so that they might find sustainable work. Advocating for immigrants, that's a work of justice. Spending the time to get to know your Latino neighbors on 14th Street, even when there's a language barrier, that's a part of justice too, you see. Speaking up, when real estate developers abuse legislative loopholes, allowing them to force out low-income tenants for greater profits, that's seeking justice. But seeking justice is also creating affordable housing out of your basement apartment or the extra room you and your roommates have creatively made vacant for a neighbor in a time of need. This is biblical justice the protection of and the provision for the most vulnerable and marginalized in society it arises from the very heart and the character of god who calls himself a god of justice who calls himself the father of the fatherless the defender of widows the one who himself not only identified with the poor but in his son who came and became poor So that we, through his poverty, might become spiritually rich. What would it look like for you, dear friends, today to engage in the justice of God? To you yourself to live a life of increasing justice and increasing measure. Collaborating, of course, with others in the community and even outside the church through multi-level collaborations for the good and the flourishing of this neighborhood, this city, this nation, this world that God has made and promised to redeem. What would it look like for you to be a part of this one day future and even breaking in now, justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And oh, the richness of even that language rolling down like waves pointing to the the, the abundance of love and compassion and truth and standing firm and advocacy and love of neighbor, the abundance like rolling waves, an onrush, an overflow of deeds of equity, which doesn't, of course, mean you have to engage every issue, despite what social media might tell you, but that you can invite, I mean, that you can engage a few and engage them faithfully and well before the very face of God, and in view of your neighbor. In righteousness, like a mighty stream, this word mighty, which also can be interpreted, never-ending stream, and I love this because you see this language, comes from a land where water can be scarce. And so this image of abundant water is powerful. In Israel, there were many riverbeds that are dry except during rainy seasons or just immediately after a downpour or a flood. You see, just as God says, when God shows up becomes a never-ending stream. It always characterizes his people. It's not a seasonal activity. It's a constant character in the heart of his people. A never-ending, never-failing stream of grace that flows from the heart of God through his people to our neighbors around us. So is this a defining mark of life? Is it a defining mark of your faith? Because it's something that God calls you to engage. It's the meaning of justice, but it's hard. It's really hard. And so the second thing we see is that there are in this passage barriers to justice. Even when you might know the meaning and you hear the call to seek God, to turn from evil ways, to pursue justice, we must acknowledge that there are barriers to justice as well. And we find two in this passage. We'll look at them very quickly. Number one, the first barrier is religious hypocrisy. Verses 21 through 23 point this out to us. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, says God. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Stunning words from God. I hate the external religious activity that papers over a vacuous heart that has no concern for neighbor. Because religious piety can become for us blinders, can't they? whether if it's participation in a church community or in religious activity, thinking that we can fool God or ourselves with just going through the motions and thinking that's all that the Lord requires of us. Too often, if we're honest with ourselves, it is a deliberate cover-up in order to keep at bay at arm's length these hard calls and commissions to the work of justice, to the work of loving Neighbor, we don't want to go there. But, oh, Lord, don't you see the things I'm doing for you? But, oh, Lord, don't you see how I pray to you? But, oh, Lord, don't you see how much I give to the church? But, oh, Lord, don't you see how I love the people in the church or my wealthy counterparts? Jesus, of course, had things to say about this in Luke 11 as he confronted the religious leaders. He said, woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb doing fastidious religious activity, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Because what we tend to fail to know or to remember is that justice is a fruit of a real relationship with God. It does not create your relationship with God, but if you have genuine communion with a God of justice, justice begins to flow. It's one of the brightest signs of a vibrant faith, deep concern for social concerns for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, for the immigrant, for the racial minority, for the materially impoverished, for the widow, for the orphan, is a sign of relationship with him. James 1.27 testifies to this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 1 John 3, 7, a similar message. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Indeed, it cannot. One barrier to justice is religious hypocrisy that keeps the obligations of justice at bay. But this passage also points to a second barrier to justice, and that is this idolatry. Look at verse 26. You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God which you have made for yourselves. The words that are used here, shrine, pedestal, star, are actually terms that are used for Assyrian and Babylonian deities. Israel has taken into themselves the religious practices of the surrounding nations. They have ceased to truly worship God, even though, as we just heard, they are going through their religious motions of serving God. And yet they don't have the reality of worship in their hearts. In fact, they're worshiping other things. That's the same problem with us. You may not bow down to statues or figurines... But the Bible says idolatry is a problem for all of us. And this passage is showing that there's a close relationship between Israel's injustice and their idolatry. Well, how? Because a lot of us think that the reason why I don't engage in issues of justice is simply because, well, I'm a little bit greedy. And I'm just holding on to my things too tight. That might be true. Others of us say, well, I would love to, but I simply don't have enough time. Well, let's take that one for as an example. What is underneath this tight grip that perhaps you have on your time? So often it's fear, isn't it? Fear that maybe I might get behind in my career. I don't have extra bandwidth in life to pursue other things, even love of neighbor, because I must devote myself to this job, to this work. Or maybe for others of you, it's not work, it's your friends, it's relationships, it's the reputation you have as a socially accessible person. Whatever it might be, do you see underneath sometimes our commitment to those things have a near religious dynamic to it, where we are turning to these things, giving them an almost godlike status in our hearts. Oh, job, make me happy, infinitely happy. Oh, friend, heal my deepest wounds. Oh, life, give me peace and joy and freedom. Things with all these wonderful blessings in life that God's given to us never was to, meant to bear the weight of, cannot bear the weight of, and will ultimately disappoint us. So often, our commitment to these other things are precisely what keep us away from the cause of justice. Idolatry itself can be expressed in a lot of creative ways, strange creative ways, even including the idolatry of social justice itself. For some of you, perhaps your whole identity is so wrapped around the cause that you are devoted to that you can barely imagine yourself apart from that cause. Could you consider today? That your relationship to that issue to that need as great as it might be objectively speaking might be rightly described as idolatry have you bowed your knee are you able to loosen your grip and give it up if needed is it the only thing that defines you are you treating it like a god because even for those that are Activistic and engaged in social justice causes, don't you see if social justice itself becomes your God, if it is what gives you joy and meaning, then guess what? You are doing it for yourself because you can't bear to be without it, without that identity, without that cause, without that activity. You have just hijacked the very thing for which you believe yourself to be doing for others. Quietly in your heart, knowing that you yourself could never do without. You must keep bowing to that God. You must keep drawing from it for happiness, for identity, for freedom from your fears. Oh, friends, even our causes of social justice that we are engaged with can be hijacked by an idolatrous self centered heart? Will you look deep within? What are the things that drive you? What are the things that serve as barriers to a free, truly other-concerned, joyful engagement with the justice of God in this world? Because when we don't, the consequences are clear. I mean, this passage is a fairly dark passage. We can be honest about that. God is very clear. Injustice must be punished uh, this is an act of God's love it might feel strange to you it might even feel heavy handed my goodness but this you have to understand is a product of the love of God I will not let people be trampled by you I will not let what is due to them being made with dignity made in my image to be struck with the violence of your words and your laws and your hands. This God who therefore says the consequences of this persistence in injustice is destruction for Israel. He describes it with language up top as as, as fire that no one can quench. He, He describes it as the light going out, darkness, pitch darkness, he says. Describing exile that's about to come. Israel, who indeed was attacked by Assyrian armies in 722 B.C. and its people deported into a distant land. God would judge the nation. This is the passionate heart of God for justice. It's a passion of love for people. Don't you see? He, he, he must not let injustice persist. The love of his heart requires him to hold people, even you and me, accountable. We like to say in this day and age that silence is complicity. Yes, we are uncomfortable with the idea of God's judgment, and yet in the face of injustice, would we be comfortable with a God who was wholly silent? We tell each other silence is complicity. Why wouldn't this apply also to God? You want a God who cares this much, this much about the violation of justice. But then where does that leave us? Because every one of us, if we're honest, are weak, inconsistent, hardly that never-failing stream. What hope do we have For those who long to seek justice. For those who long to fulfill our joyful Christian holy obligation. Or who simply long to explore what a life of justice might look like. What hope do we have? Look at verse 15. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. God is always looking for a remnant, some smaller subset of his people that remain in faithfulness, that haven't abandoned the commission to love love neighbor as themselves and to love their God. He's always been looking for a little remaining group, and he has been hard-pressed throughout the scriptures to find such a people He's roaming and searching left and right until finally he himself provides the one true Israelite, the one truly faithful one, the one truly just and righteous one who came and disadvantaged himself, who loved and lift up the poor, whose first sermon he ever preached was that he has been anointed by the Spirit to preach good news to the poor, who spent his life on the margins of society, who allowed himself to be afflicted with injustice in order that he might redeem us by his justice. This Jesus who lived a life of perfect justice, he hated evil, yes. He loved good, yes. And still for you and me, suffered judgment as if he himself had committed every act and thought and word and deed of injustice that you and I had ever committed and will ever commit. That he suffered on the cross darkness. Darkness. As even the sky grew dark, reflecting in creation what was going on in his soul as God withdrew the light of his life and favor from his own son in terrifying judgment. As a fire that could not be quenched, burned in his soul, Jesus receiving the hell that we deserve as he cried out, I thirst. Exile! For our injustices, not from a land, but from his own heavenly father. As he cried out, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you exiled me from your presence? Jesus bearing the just wrath of God for all of our injustices. Jesus who identifies with us. Jesus who marginalizes himself for us. This is the good news of those who are hungry for hope to have their hearts changed. Because isn't that what we need? A heart change? Not more externality. Not more now justice branded religiosity but a true change of heart where we abandon our idolatries and we bow our knee to God with joy and surrender because we've tasted his grace and his mercy like nothing before. This Jesus who needs to change our heart, as even Dr. King himself instructed us that hearts must be changed. Years later in one sermon and speech, he was very clear That laboring for legislative reform is critical. He said, It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. And yet he still said and included this word ultimately, morality cannot be legislated, justice cannot be legislated, not ultimately. He said, certainly, if the problem is to be solved, then in the final sense, hearts must be changed. Do you want your heart to be changed? And who can change it but the one that can go deep inside and reveal to you mercy and grace like never before, a commitment to justice that worked on your behalf because Jesus came to heal and to rescue the helpless and the weak, and that includes every single one of us, don't you know? Helpless to save ourselves, weak and powerless to change ourselves. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen? This then and this only then is the way in which we can see this vision fulfilled, this grand vision of justice. Let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. By God's grace, it can be so. For his glory, it will be so. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would come and send your spirit. Change our hearts. Make us new. And make us people of justice. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.